Hi, everyone. This is Corel Cooper from Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Corel. I recently attended the 3% Conference in Chicago, which is a business event focused on the importance of diversity to creativity. During the conference, I had a chance to catch up with Myra Laudin. She is the CEO of Vector Perspectives. We had a fascinating conversation about her background and how her upbringing has influenced her career. And for those of you who are not familiar with Vector Perspectives, it's a company that's focused on leveraging virtual reality for diversity and inclusion training. With that said, let's get into the episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, everyone. It's Corel Cooper. I am here on location in Chicago at the 3% Conference with Myra Laldin, the founder and CEO of Vector. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thank you for joining me. Is this your first time doing a podcast at a conference? Because it's mine. <laughs> yes, at a conference, this is definitely my first time. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty interesting uh, conference. A lot of great content. Actually looking forward to our session tomorrow as well, too. But while I have you, thank you for joining me on the Minority Report podcast. Let's go ahead and dig in. So first question I have for you, Myra, just give the audience a little information about you, your background, your culture, your identity. Okay, so that's pretty heavy. That's a lot, that's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, we, we jump right in <laughs> we here. We jump right in, yeah. So I am originally from Pakistan. I grew up there till about, I think I was 13. So my family is Christian, Pakistani, and so that already is a very interesting dynamic on mm. its own. Um, I think Christians are about 1% in Pakistan, mm. and the rest is uh, majority Muslim. And it's it's an interesting place to be in terms of identity because when you're in such a religious, like conservatively religious country, mm-hmm. you're not really considered Pakistani unless you're Muslim. Mm. You know, it's very, it's, it's, so that was like a, early on, like very aware of that. So my background's growing up in Pakistan in a village in Pakistan, way up in the north. My parents actually about 35 years ago started a hospital for um, marginalized communities who didn't have any medical care. Wow. So um, there's no schools in the area. Mm. You know, we grew up in a tiny little village. And th- so my parents sent us to this American boarding school. Mm. So I, I went there when I was six and a half years old. So I grew up in Pakistan, but in a totally Western bubble. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And and as growing up in Pakistan, in that Western bubble, and again, feeling like you were, say, a minority or an outcast, if you will, right, in your own country, did you feel that growing up? Did your parents talk to you about that as you were growing up as well, too? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fear, unfortunately, just different things that happen to minorities in Pakistan, uh, you know, based on difference, like anywhere in the country Mm -hmm. or in the world. And so they're very aware of that. It was even more interesting, like growing up in the school of with all Western kids, my family was the only Pakistani and feeling it's that understanding of you almost feel like you are totally accepted in the Western, you know, bubble. Mm -hmm. But then when you step out of it, you're like, there's this cognitive dissonance of, of identity, really. Like, yeah. who am I really? Am I? You don't really fit in with the Pakistani people anymore because you don't think, like, I think in English, you mm. know, because I grew mm-hmm. up, like, from six and a half years old, like, oh, wow. you know, oh, thinking yeah. in English. And so, yeah, there's just a, a lot there from a young age that you start to realize. Gotcha. And and then what was that transition like, or how did you and your family make the transition from Pakistan to the U.S.? Oh, okay. So actually, in between that, at, at 13, our school actually moved to Thailand. So this is a bit heavy, but my school was attacked by religious fundamentalists um, when I was 13. So after this was in 2002, 
Is this okay to talk about? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, you All can right. talk about whatever you want. Oh, like I never know when it gets too heavy. No, okay. no, no, no. So in 2002, so this is after, you know, September 11th, and then America attacked Afghanistan. So in retaliation, basically, there was some fanatics who attacked our school because it was predominantly Western mm-hmm. and it was Christian. Mm-hmm. And even though not every everyone is Christian, but anything Western is equivalent to Christian mm. in Pakistan. So they came in and basically they were, you know, they had bombs strapped to their chest. They were, you know, came in, like, killed a bunch of people. Um, and the goal was basically, you know, they had a manifesto that they left that said was like, this is for our Muslim brothers in Afghanistan. So that obviously was a very traumatic event. Yeah. And, um the psychologists and everyone in the school thought it was really important that the kids stay together. So we actually, about 70 students and like 20 staff members, we ended up moving to Thailand and wow. joined a school there. Yeah, gotcha. So that's how I moved to Thailand. Yeah. To, okay, you got to Thailand. Yeah. And, then, and then from from Thailand to, to where? where yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from Thailand, um, did school a few years there. You know, our school reopened in Pakistan, then went back for college in, a, in another international college in Thailand. Okay. Uh, worked there a couple of years and then... While I was working there, one of my good friends, he went to grad school at Harvard, so he encouraged me to apply there. So that's how I ended up in the U.S. was for grad school. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And have you been back to Pakistan? Yeah. So I went to visit. And, you know, my whole goal of of even going to grad school was, hey, I really want to help minorities mm-hmm. in Pakistan. Like, mm-hmm. that's why I even went. And that was kind of my platform for going. And, you know, I want to help girls' education, but minorities in general, obviously, like Christians in Pakistan mm-hmm. who... Mm-hmm are just like generally really discriminated against. And how, how do you feel today when you go back to Pakistan? Yeah, I mean, it's still home and my family's still there. Okay. Yeah, but there's obviously this constant, you know, just I can't get into details of it just because of the safety of my family. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's been recent things where my family is in danger. And it's this like either I think about it and I'm kind of, paralyzed with fear mm-hmm. uh, because anybody could come into my dad's hospital and you know they, it's not like they have they're not going to screen every patient underneath their clothes right. you know so there's this like constant fear but it's also like that's where they believe their mission is and where what they're supposed to be doing so mm-hmm. i just have to kind of trust that yeah it's it's this reality that you know our school's been attacked churches have been attacked um my dad has been accused of you know falsely accused of a lot of stuff mm. um so I, it's still home. I love the culture. I love that. But gotcha. it sucks that religion can do that to people. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So what, what did you go to school for? What did you go to college for? So undergrad, I did international business management. So a lot of the cross-cultural pieces, mm-hmm. um, you know, how, how do you work across cultures in business and um, the psychology of that. And then for grad school, I ended up going a little deeper into the cognitive side of that. So it was a program called Mind Brain Education. So it's about learning and development neuroscience and psychology. Gotcha. Okay. And is that what led you to founding the company that you have today? Yeah. I mean, it's all part of the journey, right? So I ended up doing organizational behavior after that. Mm -hmm. So really looking at strategic inclusion, how do we help organizations reduce turnover? And it's usually about like how inclusive is an organization? Do Mm -hmm. do people feel like they belong or do they want to leave? You know, and I was basically pretty jaded by that because I saw no behavioral change from the way that we're currently doing diversity and inclusion training. There's, you know, so I actually left (laughs) because I was like, okay, I'm done. And then once I learned about VR, um, you know, this is about five, five, six years ago and I, I got really fascinated with the possibilities of it. So really looking into the research 
you know, really great stuff coming out of Stanford, out of Harvard, out of University of Barcelona. And I was like, wow, this is the greatest empathy tool that we have at our disposal. Mm. And and this is what inclusion needs. It needs yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going full out on this. So that's when we slowly... It, it took a couple of years to actually create the company that was going to be VR, but uh-huh. but it was like I was creating content along the way gotcha. for, for the last five, six years. Mm-hmm. I was like, not just in VR, just in general. What is it that, that people need to know? And for me, it's much larger than just, you know, in America, we call it diversity and inclusion, but it's much larger than that. It's this understanding of, I would say, like, a fish does not know water, right? You know what yeah. I'm saying? So basically helping people to see what their water is. What are the things that we've just taken for granted and we think is normal? So anytime that you hear someone say like, that's weird, it's just usually weird because it's not normal to you. You know, like it's not your norm. (laughs) It's not your culture. Right, right. If you don't mind, I'm going to steal that, uh, the fish and water. It's not mine. I'm sure I I took it from someone else. One of my professors. So so, um, again, you you talked about, let's just call it the traditional way of doing DNI training versus what you're doing now at, at Vector, right? What have you seen in terms of the training and the, the companies that you work with? Why is VR able to help more than, say, the traditional training has in the past? Right. So, firstly, I think what traditionally we have done, this unconscious bias training, this is all very important. And I think it was the groundwork mm-hmm. and it's very critical work. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I think we're just building upon that. So, what we're doing is where I see the gaps are, you know, firstly, I, I don't like to call it unconscious bias. It just sounds very negative. I call mm. it conscious inclusion, right? So we're trying to, uh, we are training you to be consciously inclusive, mm-hmm. leaders and team members. What makes difference with VR is that it's no longer just this cognitive thing where someone's standing in the front of the room and telling you what bias is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. We, not, none of us really get it yeah. that way, you know, yeah. unless we've experienced it. With VR, we actually let you feel it for yourself. And I do it in a way that's very constructivist. So a lot of the training right now is punitive, right? Mm-hmm. You you feel like, oh, you're biased and like, you know, pay attention, you're biased, yeah, you know? Yeah. And this is like, hey, everyone gets to experience it on their own. They, they come out making meaning in terms of what they saw and what they experienced. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's cool to see people going through it and realizing, oh, I, I felt really, you know, they'll come out and be like, I felt... I felt angry in there and I was like, why did you feel angry? You know? Yeah. And they're like, well, I, I was just like not included. I was like, but what? So I, we get really tactical mm-hmm, in terms of mm-hmm. what, what does that mean? And so it, they're like, wow, I'm starting to understand the impact of micro behaviors, like not making eye contact with me, right. not, not looking at me when they're talking, you know? Yeah. So I'm like that we can allow you to do that in VR because there's a simulation versus like this role playing that kind of feels cheesy, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, versus someone standing from the classroom and telling you what it sh- what it feels like. Now you actually get to experience it for yourself. So I think that alone is like the biggest piece. Gotcha. Yeah. Why, why is this topic so, why are you so passionate about it? Is it partly because of your your upbringing and, and some of the unfortunate things that you've experienced uh, so far in your life? Are there other things as well uh, related to that? Yeah, I think... You know, my, my dad calls me, like, the advocate. That's what I've been, you know, I'm always kind of in the middle, and I see both sides, mm-hmm. and I try to, like, bring bring them together. Mm-hmm. So that's just, like, a natural thing in me. But in general, yeah, having grown up, um, again, being in the middle of two cultures of, like, Pakistani and then Western culture, or then, again, in Thailand, it was, like, Eastern and Western. You know, I was constantly in the middle and being yeah. able to see both sides, and I was like, I want to help people see both of those. But I think the biggest thing for me is, especially coming to the U.S., is, I am so privileged the kind of experiences that I've had 
I think it's helped me gain way more empathy and understanding of the world because I've grown up with kids from literally all over the world. Yeah. You know, literally. Yeah. And I understand, I've been able to like experience so many different parts of culture and like different stories that it's really helped me be more aware of when I am biased about mm. things. Um, and I think, you know, especially in America, not a lot of people have those experiences. So I'm like, how can I bring that that, yeah. that experience to people so that they can kind of open their minds. Yeah. Um, and VR is a great way of doing that. Gotcha. You know, when you're when you're doing your trainings, right? Do you ever feel uh, discriminated against or any biases towards you? Because like again, because you're in it, you can pick up on it much quicker than maybe you know someone who's just not in it, right? With unconscious bias, so on and so forth. So I'm just curious to know if you've like had any of those experiences. Yeah, so many. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting because sometimes we'll take. So I'll use the example of like the gender bias yeah, one. We'll yeah. take men through it, and you know they're they're talking about you know what they noticed and stuff, and then they're t constantly talking over me, which is just so funny because I'm like, this is what we just talked about, <laughs> but because we don't have that, if it's just a demo, then we don't have the facilitation piece to like really bring those yeah, out, right? Uh -huh. So then they'll be doing those things to me, and I'm kind of just like laughing. But my team is mostly guys, and they've started to realize now that they work more in this area of when we'll go into meetings. A lot of times. You know, I'm the CEO and I, I'm setting up these meetings and yeah. like I lead these meetings. Yeah. But men will generally try and gravitate or end up gravitating to the developers. Interesting. Thinking that they know more. And then, but my team has started realizing this now. So what they'll do, they've started like doing these little adjustments of like pivoting their body towards me more and more. Mm -hmm. So then mm -hmm. that changes the energy of the room and the other person starts doing it too. Gotcha. <laughs> so there's like gotcha. these little like strategies that we've come up with. But yeah, yeah definitely. But see, that's all about learning and, and yeah. growth. And that's, and that's, that's very, yeah, and that's yeah. very interesting that your team that spends all the time with you, they're picking up on that. And they're not only teaching others the right thing to do, but they're also learning as they're going through yeah. it too. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. so cool to see it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so cool. When we made our first uh, scenario, I was just like, man, this is so cool to have a bunch of guys working on gender bias. Yeah. It was so yeah. cool. And then, yeah, they've just like learned. We talk a lot about it now because they've, they're creating the scenario. They're writing the script with me and they're like, mm -hmm. wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So founder, CEO of your own company, I know that founders and CEOs think of the company sometimes as sort of like their baby. They have to be involved in every aspect of it to get it uh, to grow, to get it to scale. Let's talk about work-life balance. <laughs> and, I am and, the wrong and... person to talk about that right now. Um, well, look, is there a specific question? Or yeah, so, so, so I mean, from, from my perspective, right, I, I am of the opinion that there really isn't a such thing as work-life balance. I think everyone has their own life and you choose to spend the time how you want to spend the time or how you need to spend the time and i was just curious to know you know do you think about work-life balance as you're trying to grow and scale this company do you believe in it are you struggling with it if you do just throwing that all out yeah you. <laughs> so when we our first year we we were crazy we worked every day till about 9 p.m mm -hmm. and then Obviously, I burnt out, and then I was like, "Okay, team, like we, 6 p.m. we stop. Yeah, and only if it's something crazy, then we'll stay on. But it needed to be something regular, and it needed to come from me. Otherwise, yeah. you know, if I'm staying, then everybody's staying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now, even if I work late, like I go home and work late. I don't, gotcha. you know, but I don't really see it as this balance because my work is my mission, and that is who I am. Right. You know, and I know it's different for people maybe working in corporate. They maybe in some mm -hmm, aspect it's not mm -hmm. the same. But this yeah. is like really a mission for me, and it's it's my it's in every aspect of my life. It doesn't stop when I go home, you know, in, in different ways. I'm in social justice at right, home, you know. Right, right, right. So 
I think mostly it's just about boundaries. That's the biggest thing, you know, discipline and, and boundaries. So one of the things when I'm doing well is I make sure that, you know, I do stop work when I can. In general, mm -hmm. you know, try to stop late at 7 p.m. And then I actually turn off my phone by nine mm. and don't bring it into the bedroom. Like I try to, I, I really need to just wow. shut, shut down. Yeah, it's hard. I think I would have the shakes. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's, it's so good because otherwise if I'm still looking at my phone at nine. Yeah then I'm, I don't get a restful sleep because then the, my brain's still going. Mm. So that's, that was like really good just to, I think that's the biggest thing is knowing for the longevity of, of your business, like knowing what your boundaries need to be. Yeah. And so when I'm in a good place, which is not now, but it, I'm going to get back to that <laughs> once I catch up again. Yeah. 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 But you know, just like having that routine, I think is really good. Like discipline is awesome when it comes to, to really thriving in your business. Yeah. yeah. Where, where do you draw inspiration from? Um, I read a lot. I love to read. Mm. But any favorite authors or any favorite subjects? Well, know? I really read a lot of HBR, I, like Harvard Business Review. Uh -huh. they're, they're, uh -huh. So uh, they're also one of our partners. But so that was like a dream for me because I've been like reading them yeah. for so long. I read like a, a really like wide variety of things. And that's one of the reasons, you know, I didn't end up going into a PhD after grad school was because I like to synthesize across fields. Mm -hmm basically anything I love to read about it and then be like, how does this fit together? I think reading is really good, but also some, you know, a lot of like, like this, like podcasts yeah, are yeah. actually a great way. Like I love, I love podcasts. And so there's a couple that I really like, like, you know, Tim Ferriss mm. and I, and he brings a whole range of people. So he's yeah. very, like very generalist and I love it. Mark Metry. And then also there's a, a new nonprofit that just came out. My friend started, it's called The Plenary. Okay. And oh my gosh, like everyone needs to check out their stuff. If you just follow their Instagram, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. alone will like open up your mind in like so many ways. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot about bias and, and um, just seeing the world through through different lenses. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. For any anyone out there that's listening to the podcast right now that's thinking about starting their own business or just founded their own business, what, what advice would you have? What advice looking back on, and, and again, I know you haven't been a founder or CEO for all that long, but what you've learned in the, in the short amount of time that you have been, is there any advice you would give yourself going back to when you first started the company? So as a founder and CEO, like two years feels really long mm, things mm. in a week like it feels like three weeks because mm. you pivot every day so i think one of the biggest things there, there's so much there that i've learned but what i think one of the biggest things is if you have a team like culture is super important right like right in the beginning you know we oh, made yeah. such a big deal of that we we had like long like hours of sessions which most startups don't do but mm -hmm. we're like who who are we as a team what is our north star mm -hmm. um how do we interact with one another? What are the values that we're putting? And that helps so much because people are the best part mm -hmm. of this job, mm -hmm. but they're also the hardest part, mm -hmm. you know, and having to maintain that culture has actually been like a source of a, a lot of stress because there's a lot of things that come up and yeah. how are we interacting? And for me as well, like really paying attention to those small things that create a culture, yeah. knowing that, yeah. like I, I have to be on it and like be able to acknowledge that. But the other thing is, I think, I have such a great support system. I've, you know, just this work has like brought in like so many great people like mm -hmm, with really mm -hmm. good energy and stuff. But it's, I think having those really good advisors, really trusted advisors. And I think it's important to note that there's not going to be one person who's going to be able to help you with everything. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Not. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. some people are really good in one thing, but might give you bad advice in another. And mm -hmm. it's okay to not accept. You can accept some things that they say and you will know intuitively, you know, what is 
right and what's not. Yeah. So I have like a range of advisors and they've been so amazing to me. Some of the toughest times, like, you know, just on Monday, like one of them from California just called up literally for like five minutes just to say, this is your take a breath call. Take gotcha. a deep breath. There and I was like, <laughs> wow, thank you. Like you feel loved, you feel supported. And just like, it kind of brings you, you know, back to like, okay, what, what matters in your grounded? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So a little fun question. Your phone, right? I know you put it away at at, at nine o'clock at night. No, but, I don't. <laughs> I should. <laughs> but give me um, give me three yeah. apps on your phone that you use the most outside of calendar and email. Outside of calendar and email. Okay, <laughs> that's hard. Um, so I actually use Instagram a lot, mm-hmm. and it's so I have a list of close friends on there that. You know, I have friends all over the world, like in Amsterdam and Singapore and, you know, all Mm -hmm. over having gone to international schools. And it's really hard to stay in touch. So we so Instagram is a big one because we get to stay connected, like with my family, too. Like we're constantly sharing stuff. And so that's a really important one. And then what else do I use? Am I allowed to say LinkedIn? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so actually LinkedIn, I mean, I'm going to I've met so many great people, you know, again, through yeah. this work, but it's really great how being able to connect with people everywhere you know one of my friends she's um she's blind and she has been going through like some serious issues with uber the Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, i don't know if you mm -hmm, want me to say that mm -hmm. but for the last four years Uh right just trying to like get drivers attention or let them know that she's blind and then they're like get in the black car and she's like i can't see like Mm. which is a black car Mm. you know Mm. and she's been like writing about this stuff for years and trying to get help and like I just realized, like, because of the my job and because of LinkedIn, I'm connected to a lot of people. I was like, okay, I'm going to do something about this. So, yep. And in, in one hour, I had, like, four top people of Uber, like, paying attention to yeah. what I was saying. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's the power of LinkedIn. Right. You right. Know? I remember because you yeah. tagged me in that post, too, <laughs> <I was laughs> which like, is great. Me. Which I was is like, help great. me. That's, that's like, a great way for me to, to yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. I, was yeah. Like, I was like, I'm frustrated seeing this. I can't right. imagine what it's like for right. her. So LinkedIn is awesome. And then... I use Google Drive a lot, like right. for my team. Yeah. Like we're sharing a lot of stuff. It's yeah. a great way to work together, even when I'm traveling. Yeah, awesome. So those awesome. are probably boring answers. No, but. no, it's fine. <laughs> so for for anyone out there listening that wants to continue the conversation with you, how can they get in touch with you? Obviously, we're on um, Instagram, like Vector XYZ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram at Dean. so you you can always find us there. But you know, feel free to email me. I love people reaching out if you're interested in our work if you want to collaborate we're yep. looking for you know if you have ideas of different kind of uh, scenarios you want to create if you want to help us create scenarios we're we're all about it's all about the community helping us do it so awesome. yeah reach out like myra at, at vector.xyz yeah awesome myra and thank you for for joining us today and for anyone out there listening you can continue to listen to minority report podcasts anywhere you listen to podcasts soundcloud spotify apple google talk to you guys soon